0: hey crosswalk so good to be here with you today and bring you a word for our southern californian friends i'm wearing what we call a cardigan today you may not be familiar with it but it's what we wear in other parts of the country when it's cool to cold outside you don't know what that's like so i just thought i'd help you if you were wondering what this thing was anyway this morning i hope you're doing well i'll admit I've had some hard days over the last two weeks. I blame 2020, mostly, as we all do. If you haven't seen it yet, my favorite 2020 meme says, would someone please throw Jonah overboard or get into Nineveh already? Because we can't take much more of this. But we've all had our hard days, especially in the last six months. And we've all had those days where we know life would never be the same again after that day, the day we fell in love. The day we graduated college to head out into the world on our own. The day we got married, committing to do life with another person. For me, I'll add a few other significant days to that list. For example, the day I had my first In-N-Out Burger. Life-changing. The day I finally switched from Windows to Mac. Thank you, Jesus. The day I woke up at 3 a.m. to go to the hospital for the birth of our first child. The day I received a call that my dad had died. These days are days I will never forget. Days that I knew would change my life forever. Days in which I would have to learn how to, do, how to live into a new normal. Since March, it seems like we've been in one long, ever-changing, and often frustrating day. A day where we've been hit over and over again with situations and events that are changing life as we know it. Many of us desperately want to go uh, to go back, to wake up and have everything the way it was, pre-pandemic. But is it possible that through this time God is doing something new in us, preparing us for some future unknown, tilling the soil of our lives and our world for a new openness to the gospel, helping us be ready for whatever comes next? And we have a Savior in Jesus who is not only with us through the changes, but he knows what it's like to have these kinds of days. For Jesus, that day in heaven, when his journey to earth began, things would never be the same after that day. What about the day of his baptism, when his own cousin would introduce him as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then after that day, scripture tells us about a time of trial and temptation for Jesus, a time in the wilderness, This journey would be another one of those kind of days. Before we get too far into the details, let's look for a moment at the first line of our passage. Matthew 4, 1 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now take note that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Pastor Tim touched on the wilderness concept with John the Baptist last week. But this week, it's Jesus' turn. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God, I want to end up somewhere pretty nice. Right now, I'm thinking somewhere tropical, 77 degrees with breathtaking waterfalls, clear blue oceans, and white sandy beaches. And yet the Spirit took Jesus to the wilderness, a dry and desolate place. Sometimes, the way of Jesus is the road less traveled the harder road. There's a fallacy about the Christian walk out there that if we do everything just right, we'll have smooth sailing, blessings galore, and no sign of struggle. But that's not promised to us in scripture. There are times when the spirit knows that to be the people who God needs us to be, we have to sometimes go where we don't wanna go. And why is Jesus led to the wilderness? It says he is to be tempted, or in the Greek, tested by the devil. Why tested? Why now at this point in his life? Well, the devil knows that in the larger narrative of this moment, his life is at risk. If Jesus succeeds in what he came to do on this earth, the devil's fate would be sealed and his end would most definitely come. So the devil is here to do whatever he can to keep that from happening. Jesus, on the other hand, is about to begin his public ministry, so the timing is critical. This testing is one of the climactic scenes in the battle of good versus evil, light versus dark. This is the origin story of every superhero movie, every blockbuster hit, every classic novel. You think Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker was a big deal, or Rey versus the Emperor? or Thanos versus Avengers, or Neo and the Matrix, or Sherlock Holmes and Professor Moriarty, or Edmund Dantes and Fernand Mondego. All of these stories trace their origins to the ultimate battle of good and evil found in the pages of scripture. Act one is the battle in the Garden of Eden. Act two comes when the word becomes flesh in the person of Jesus, and all the moments that led to this time of trial. And act three, well, That comes on two separate hills, the Mount of Olives and the hill called Calvary. What does the devil hope to accomplish right now? Well, he hopes to get Jesus to use his divine powers to serve himself instead of others. He wants everyone to see God the Father as the devil claimed him to be, selfish and unfair. He wants Jesus to give in to being the conquering Messiah that the people want instead of the suffering servant that the people need. Jesus knew this test was coming, and so he prepared. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, a significant amount of time of seeking and listening to God in scripture. Jesus spends time with the Father in order to be aligned with his will and have his heart set on heavenly things. At the end of this time, the devil comes. He comes when Jesus is at his absolute weakest Now, I don't know about you, but if I miss a meal or two, I get hangry. But 40 days of meals, I can't imagine. The devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, wasn't Jesus just told by the voice after his baptism that he was God's dearly loved son? Well, yes, but the devil is hoping to either make Jesus doubt one of the devil's favorite tools or to push Jesus's buttons and get him to prove it. Either way, Jesus has weapons that will help him withstand this test from the devil, though it will be tough. His weapons include the word of God and his time in the wilderness with God. As he's been fasting and praying, he's been meditating on God's story and why he's here. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus responds forcefully. The lesson here for how we are to live into our new normal is that we must be drenched in the word of God to help fight the temptations of the devil. Now notice, there is a difference between being drenched and just getting wet, isn't there? If you go to Splash Mountain at Disneyland, you'll run into a sign that says, you may get wet on this ride. This means it's possible that some drops of water may potentially land on you. Or you can go to almost any other water ride at a different amusement park that reads, you'll find a sign that reads, you'll absolutely positively get soaked on this ride. Now, what's funny to me is that these signs had to be put up because someone complained. Someone went on one of these water rides and got off and was like, w- what in the world? No one told me I'd get wet on this water ride. Now my feet are all squishy and my hair is gonna frizz. I'm gonna sue somebody. And so they put up the signs. But the new normal isn't about just getting wet. It's about getting drenched, soaked into the word of God. We need more time in God's word to help guide us and instruct us. We can't get by just on the verse of the day. The new normal is about being drenched in God's story, his narrative and learning his ways. Soaking ourselves in God's words is one of our best tools against the trials and temptations of this world. It also helps because as the devil does in the next temptation, if you're not careful, someone can trip you up with their misguided use of God's word. In the second temptation, the devil takes Jesus to a high point of the temple and says, trying again to get him to doubt, If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will command his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. It's like the devil said, okay, Jesus, you know scripture. Well, so do I. The devil is an incredibly smart and crafty creature. He tailor makes temptation to each one of us and he'll even take something as beautiful as the word of God and twist it to his own end in each of his temptations, there is a little bit of truth mixed in with his lies. The best lies always have some truth in them. But again, Jesus is not looking at one verse and making assumptions. He's not proof texting or making the Bible say what he wants like the devil. Jesus is soaked in the word and he knows the whole story. He knows who God is and who God isn't. His eyes are on the ultimate prize and not the quick fix the devil is offering. Jesus responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Would Jesus have loved to be held by the angels after so long on this earth? Absolutely. It would have felt so good, been so reassuring, but that's not why he came. So here we learn that temptation is tailor-made to get at our weaknesses and tear us down. What tempts me may not tempt you. And as we spend time with God, We can see those temptations coming and lean on his spirit to help us resist. So once again, with his knowledge of scripture, Jesus wards off another attack. And then comes the third temptation from the devil. This one may have been the hardest to resist for Jesus. The devil offered Jesus a way to avoid the horrific suffering of the coming cross while still getting to rule over the people he loves. All Jesus would have to do is submit to the devil to worship Satan. Satan offers Jesus another quick fix to get what he wants. And here's our third takeaway about temptation and sin. Sin is about the quick fix. It's about addressing a current need or want without thought or concern to the future consequences. Maybe you're in a dry spell in your marriage. You haven't been intimate in some time. In fact, you're more often at each other's throats. One day, a temptation comes in the form of someone who desires intimacy with you. That temptation would address your immediate need, but it would ruin a relationship you've invested in and committed a lifetime to preserve. You could do the hard work of working on your relationship, or you could seek the immediate gratification and have an affair. Which is it going to be? Or maybe it's your finances. You're overwhelmed with debt and can't seem to get out from under it. When offered a chance for some quick money that may not come in the most legal of ways, you struggle because it sure would help you feel better now, as opposed to doing the hard work of getting help and making changes. But that quick fix may scar your future for a lifetime. Jesus will have none of it. He rebukes the devil and says, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Pretty forceful for the mild hearted Jesus. And you know what happened? Matthew four eleven says, then the devil went away. Jesus wins this battle against the forces of darkness, both here and on Calvary. And when you read through all of the pages in between, you see Jesus continue to encounter the darkness. The devil isn't gonna go down without a fight, but the darkness always has to do whatever Jesus says without question. When he tells them to be silent, when he commands them to come out of people, they don't have a choice. Jesus is God and they know it. So they have to bow to his name and his power. You and I are sent in the name of Jesus and have been given access to his authority, but it's easy to forget. It's easy to think that you're just having another bad day or a bad month or a bad year when it may just be the devil and his attacks. This past week, I realized I had forgotten this. Over the last few months, the devil has been working hard against our planting a church in COVID. He's been working hard to discourage, to disrupt, and to put numerous obstacles in our way. And it's been hard. Oh, I've prayed for God's help, but I forgot that there is power in the name of Jesus and it's ours to claim in the battle with darkness. So I invite you friends to remember that you belong to Jesus when you surrender to him and the devil has no claim on you. We must lean on Jesus, his spirit. We must claim his name and fight off the devil in his attacks. Get away from us, Satan. Friends, we are in a wilderness time for sure, whether we were led here by the spirit or not, I do not know, but I know he is with us. And yes, it's hard. COVID restrictions keep many of us in isolation. We can't do the things we so desperately want to do, the things our hearts need. And the trials and temptations that are thrown at us in this wilderness are intense. I mean, look at how much the tensions in this world have escalated since March, 2020. Racial and social injustices, economic hardships, the most contested and fiercely divided election cycle in my history, riots and screaming and vitriol spewed on everything from cars to Facebook posts, even some of those who profess to follow Jesus aren't alleviating the suffering and pain, they're adding to it all in the name of Jesus, misquoting and misunderstanding scripture all along the way. So what do we do, friends? How do we live in this new normal and what can we take from the story of the testing or temptation of Jesus to help us in this time of great need? Well, we must remember that the devil will tailor make temptation, attack us when we are weak and offer us quick fixes to our very real problems. He'll mix truth with lies to trip us up and he's desperate to destroy all things that reflect the image of his enemy. But here's the most important part. The devil is a defeated foe who must bow down in the presence of Jesus. And that very presence lives in us. So what must we do? We must be drenched in his word. We must lean on his presence and we must claim his victory and his name to rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. And practicing these things, we step into the new normal, the new way of life in the kingdom of God. Does this mean that sin can become a thing of the past and that temptation will no longer come on this earth? Sadly, no. Sin and temptations remain. The devil will fight till his dying breath to take down God's creation. Jesus's victory means this though. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns. It means we will struggle and at times we will fall, but God in his incredible mercy and grace picks us up, dusts us off, and helps us regain balance in the new normal. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns, means sin no longer has to be our master. Jesus is. And with Jesus, change is possible. With Jesus in the help and guidance and support of community, the addict can find healing. A broken relationship can be restored. A bad decision can be forgiven. Shame can be erased. Freedom in Christ is possible. And the weight that's been holding you down can be removed so you can learn to walk freely and lightly in the unforced rhythms of grace. In Jesus, we have hope. I wanted to close off our time today with a look into a change I made about 10 years ago that has helped my life immensely as I try to live into the new normal of the kingdom of God. As some of you watching know, 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. There are a lot of details to the story, but the ones that are important for today's story are these. My anxiety was killing me. I couldn't work. I wasn't eating or sleeping and I couldn't get out my head. For nearly two years, I fought to make it through every moment of every day, not sure if I would. I sought all the help I could, spiritual mentorship and support, physicians, professional counseling. But for those first two years, I continually prayed for God to remove this ailment from me. I wanted to live what I thought was normal, which was back before I was diagnosed. But for two years, it didn't go away. After some time and hard, hard work, I started to feel like my old self again. Because of this, I stopped doing all those things that helped me get to that point. I desperately wanted to just feel normal again, pre-anxiety. But then I hit a wall harder than any wall I had hit before. I was worse, way worse. All because I stopped doing the things that helped me heal and grow. I stopped doing those things because I wanted to be old normal, Not new normal. This one day, with anxiety squeezing the oxygen out of my lungs, I couldn't get this one Bible passage out of my head. It was from the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthian church, where he writes about the thorn in his flesh. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Notice that it doesn't say that his power shows up or is present in our weakness, but that it works best in weakness. Other translations say that his power is made perfect in our weakness. That revelation moved me to begin to change my prayers away from my God, remove my anxiety from me altogether to my God, help me learn to live with my anxiety in a way that brings you honor and glory and praise. That change in my prayer was so freeing. It allowed me to accept my new normal as imperfect as it was and find ways to live into it for the glory of God. And you know what I've been able to do because of my anxiety disorder? I've been able to help other people who struggle with anxiety because I know what it's like. And I'm able to share some things I've learned from God along the way. I am now so thankful for my anxiety, even though it still sucks. But God has helped me use it to help others. Friends, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to hurt, to struggle, to feel alone. He has laughed and he has wept. He has even felt the weight of all of our sin. And this same Jesus is with us now and always, helping us learn to live in the new normal in such a way as to bring him glory and honor and praise so that none of us have to suffer as much as he did. Crosswalk, the way of the new normal is not easy but the Spirit leads us there because it's what's best for us and those around us. I personally don't think we're ever going back to the way things were before COVID or all that 2020 has thrown our way, not totally. But as much as that scares me at times, it also fills me with excitement because I know that where God's Spirit is leading us now is for our best, drawing us nearer to His heart and our purpose. If we could find the courage to live into this new normal with Him, maybe, just maybe, We could allow him to use us to change the world. And if God could work that out in us, I bet that would be a really good day. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I thank you so much for for Jesus, for the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I thank you for Jesus's ability to fight off the forces of darkness and to offer us a piece of his presence so that we too don't have to succumb to the way of the world. We can live into the third way, the way of Jesus. Father God, please help us through all the changes going on in our world to cling to you, to be drenched in your word, to claim the power of Jesus' name, to resist temptation and the forces of darkness because he who is in us is bigger than he who is in the world. Thank you so much for the way in which you love us. Lead and guide us, I pray, into this new normal, into a way that brings you glory and honor and praise. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.